What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 44 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Palo. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman and Core. Week seven, I'm not going to say it was our best week of football yet. You know what I mean? A couple of teams go on a bye, so a couple less games on the slate. Not what you like to look for, forward to, but hey, it's football. We're not going to complain. Of course, we'll recap it. We got some good games as well, but I'm uh, excited to get into it. Yeah, definitely, pal. I mean, every week I've been coming on this on this podcast and just been saying like how good the uh, how good the games have been that specific week. And yeah, I mean, I can't really say that this week, but yeah, still recap these games, go over them, and it's season's flying by already week seven. But yeah, let's get to it. Yeah, listen, a couple in June of 2020, we would have prayed for any sort of football like this so you know what I, I will not complain at all there were a couple blogs this week but some of them core were real important because they got to tell us a lot about some teams i mentioned last week the biggest game if you ask me of the week from the stance of like importance was like the Bengals versus the ravens for me because i really wanted to see if this Bengals team was legit i said i admit it i was wrong core about the your cincinnati Bengals. i shouldn't say your cincinnati Bengals. i just know You've been a little higher on them than me, but uh, a 41 to 17 victory over the Baltimore Ravens. Joe Burrow threw for over 400 yards, and Jamar Chase seems like he's a runaway for the offensive rookie of the year. Goes for 200 yards in this game, up to I believe about 750 yards on the year, which is just insane. Uh, yeah, Baltimore, I mean, kind of gets punched in the mouth here after having a real good week against the Chargers. They kind of played with fire for a while in the beginning of the season. It looks like it kind of caught up to them all in this game. A couple long touchdowns by the Bengals. I know uh, the tight end Uzoma had a, had one too. So, I, let's hats off to the Bengals. I really didn't uh, buy too much into them, but they played tight with the Packers a couple games ago, where a couple missed field goals went uh, the wrong way, and now they got a signature win on under their belt and they're first in the AFC North. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Bengals coming to Baltimore, and yeah, for for like a lot of this for that first half it was a pretty close game. And then, I don't know, in the second half, the Bengals just kind of opened it up. And, I mean, Joe Burrow, the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection, I think. The Bengals front office, like, yeah, they could have had Panay Sewell. But, I mean, this connection, as Jamar Chase is a rookie, I mean, it's crazy. They're just every week. Like, you know Jamar Chase at this point. Like, he's not surprising anyone. Like, obviously, he's their number one wide receiver at this point in. Every week, I think it's six of the seven games, he has a completion for over like 40 plus yards. And I mean, 201 yards in this game takes like a slant, 82 yards to the crib. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal in that sense. And then, yeah, I mean, this defense also, I mean, Trey Hendrickson's been getting after uh, the quarterback. They were able to sack Lamar five times in this one. And I mean, yeah, the Bengals, I think... I think people were like seeing the Bengals four and two. They're like, yeah, this team's decent. I don't know how legit they are. And yeah, they come into Baltimore. I think definitely on um, a lot of people's radars now as uh, as maybe, I don't know if they're like a top team in the AFC yet, but definitely like a team that like people are noticing now and potentially a playoff team. Yeah, they're for sure putting the AFC and really the whole league on notice. If the playoffs ended today, they would be the top seed in the AFC, which is just absurd. But yeah, you mentioned the defense, which is really the biggest area of improvement, if you want to say, because when Burrow was at least at quarterback last year, they were like 
playable on offense. Their defense was just brutal last year. But uh, Hendrickson, you mentioned, Chidobe Awuzie, corner who came over from the Dallas Cowboys. He's been very good in their secondary. Jesse Bates has been there for a couple of years. He's been a stud, one of the most underrated safeties in our game. Uh, Logan Wilson, too, that middle linebacker they drafted out of Wyoming in – uh, I want to say 2020, could have been 2019. I think it's I think it's 2020 though. Uh, has had a really good year as well, stepping into that role. So good for the Bengals in a sense. You mentioned Jamar Chase to Joe Burrow, the connection. I honestly think from a quarterback wide receiver connection, if you want to say, it's already up there with some of the some of the best in our league. I don't think it's Rodgers to Devontae Adams yet, but I mean these guys have played. I mean they played more than seven games together, but seven NFL games together is what I'm going to say. But that. That I was Joe Brady is smiling in Carolina just watching those two guys succeed. So good for the Bengals. They are the number one seed in the AFC. And Core, uh, another team in the AFC with an absolute huge signature win, the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans, I was a little worried with uh, going into the season. Then they start off against the Arizona Cardinals. I'm like, yeah, not surprised. Then they lost to the Jets. I was like, yeah, they didn't have a couple of receivers, but you got to figure out a way to win that game. But winning back-to-back games, both at home to – the Buffalo Bills, and then this past week, they made an absolute statement over the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, I don't know if this game says more about how good the Titans really are or if the Chiefs are really, like, not the superpower that we thought they were preseason. But, yeah, I mean, you just, again, Patrick Mahomes and their offense couldn't get anything going in this game. I mean, they don't even muster up a touchdown, which is pretty wild to say. Yeah, I mean, I've this is like... I think it might be a little bit of uh, panic mode in in Kansas City because, I mean, the fact I know this defense is not great, but like Kansas City's offense, it's kind of seemed like maybe they've been figured out a little. I know they besides this game, like they've been putting up a decent amount of points, but three points in this game is just um I don't know, it's just something like you don't see from the Kansas City Chiefs. I know Patch Mahomes got um got hurt in this one. Chad Henney came in. But even before that, like, they were just not moving the ball. They were not really doing anything. And I would say this game, I'd say it says a little bit more about uh, the Tennessee Titans just because the Titans, I mean, it's not like the Titans are a team no one, like, seen. Like, they've made the playoffs, what, three years in a row? I mean, made to the AFC Championship game two years last year, obviously lost to the Ravens. But obviously this Titans team is pretty dangerous on the offensive uh side of the ball two two really I mean Julio's not doing as good but like two really good receivers obviously you got Derrick Henry in the backfield so and Mike Vrabel I think is a, a phenomenal coach but yeah I'd say this game says a little bit more about the Tennessee Titans and I don't know I think the Chiefs at a point I was like all right yeah they're not doing good maybe they'll just screw, like get into the playoffs maybe not win the division maybe the Chargers will take it but now when you see the depth in this AFC, I think um, there could be some concerns like this team actually just missing the playoffs straight up. Yeah, there has to be. I think you just look at the playoff picture right now. I mean, the Chiefs technically, like I said, if the playoffs were to start today, they wouldn't be in it. They'd be on the outside looking in. I mean, with the Bengals playing so well, the Titans, the Raiders, too, who we'll get to in just a moment, it's almost like some of these teams now they are doing better. Not, not that I necessarily don't think the Chiefs are better than these teams, but I the same time you got to show it on the field you can't just have this like narrative around you how good of a team you were because of how good you've been in your past that all of a sudden you're going to flip it this year you actually have to show that and yeah Kansas City's defense has been brutal 27 first half points in this game AJ Brown finally getting going for Tennessee over the past two weeks ever since he had that bad Chipotle but uh hopefully for the Chiefs sake they can get right hopefully Patrick Mahomes is fully healthy it looks like he should be good to go on Monday night versus the Giants but 
Yeah, I mean, for a team that you would think every week is just going to figure it out, the Chiefs, there's definitely a sense of panic. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if there's some changes made. Coach, I know my guy Steve Spagnolo is the defensive coordinator over there. Uh, definitely his seat is flaming hot, I would say. I'm surprised uh, there honestly hasn't been a change yet, but I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Core, I mentioned the Raiders being on top of the near the top of the AFC. They're the two seed technically right now in the AFC with a big win against the Philadelphia Eagles this past week. They moved to five and two. And really under this new head coach, I blanking on his I'm blanking on his name again. Uh, they played really well under him. They've responded to him with that win against the Broncos, uh obviously being the Eagles this past week. Derek Carr just continues to prove that he's a real good quarterback. And the rest of the offense they have, I wouldn't say they really have like a-tier playmakers outside of Darren Waller, but other guys are stepping up. I know uh, Moreau had a big game this past week when Waller was out, uh, but then you got like Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake in the backfield. You got Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs is finally coming into his own this year. So this Raiders team is uh, honestly pretty sneaky good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, since they've lost John Gruden, they uh, they haven't lost a game. And I mean, Derek Carr with a 91% completion percentage. I mean, that's pretty pretty impressive. And this game honestly wasn't even as close as the the final score says. I know Josh Jacob goes out in the in the first half of this one. So does Miles Sanders for the Eagles. So both teams without their starting running back. But yeah, Kenyon Drake comes in and um, throws it back to like kind of his. Uh, I mean, he's never been that good. Like his my his old Miami when he got to the Cardinals that one year days. And I don't know this this Raiders team just something about them. They they really don't have like a roster that that jumps out to you and like this team is just this team's like really good but I don't know Derek Carr continues like you said he, he's playing like kind of like a chip on his shoulder the offense has been good I mean the defense also they um they've they, they've been good also and this Raiders team another team in the AFC who's um who's definitely proving to be uh, playoff worthy as like I've said this AFC is just really deep so I don't know I don't I don't know if this team is um I don't think they're the best team in the AFC West I think the Chargers are still better but I mean through seven games five and two is a is a good record and they've uh I don't know they've looked they've looked really good since especially since um John Gruden has got fired maybe they've uh they've been playing for him because I know seem like the their players like them I, I think maybe they just play for for Gruden out here. Yeah, listen, it also just seems like they've been able to really rally around Derek Carr. I think maybe his like leadership and stuff like that kind of was a little underrated before this. And now at a time where they need somebody to step up, he is doing it. The coach, by the way, Rich Basaccia is the guy's name. The former special teams coordinator, the interim head coach, has the Raiders rolling on all cylinders. And by the way, when I was mentioning Raiders playmakers before, I didn't even mention Hunter Renfro, who's been very reliable for them. I mean, what else is ever since his days in Clemson, you know what I mean? People maybe were a little scared about how he would transfer into the NFL, but come on now, he's still that safety blanket for his quarterback. Uh, core, we've been on a high note a little bit, talking about some of the best teams in the AFC. Let's turn it to the other end of the spectrum. We got to talk about some teams who continue to go out week after week. And they're kind of core, they're kind of disappointing me, they're disappointing you, and they're disappointing kind of the football world, especially their fan bases. I guess we'll start first with the Washington football team who fell to two and five this past week. I'm not going to say I thought the Washington football team could have beat the Packers. I'm also not going to say that they played like relatively poorly against the Packers. But I think maybe a play that sums up their entire season is Taylor Heineke 
on it was like third and goal. They end up not scoring on this drive too because Heineke like goes to dive into the end zone and he just slides and never sticks out the ball. Kind of like just a blunder. You know what I mean? This coming up short, not able to uh, capitalize. I mean, uh, really Heineke it was kind of a bonehead play to be honest. But listen, I'm not going to completely drag him under the mud. The rest of their team hasn't really stepped up this year. Obviously, Fitzpatrick getting hurt didn't help, but. Two and five at this point, I think a lot of people maybe got caught up in their hype after they made the playoffs uh, at seven and nine. And yes, they were in the NFC East, so I think they got a little bit lucky there. But uh, yeah, there's I think there's just some flaws to this team. I think the defense maybe played a lot better than they should have last year. And this year, they're just playing way worse than they should. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say their defense like should be a bottom three defense or bottom five defense in the NFL, how they're performing right now. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, this um. This football team has been pretty disappointing. I mean, I was not expecting this team to be like a top team in the NFC. I don't think anyone was, but I think two and five through seven games is um is not how people were expecting this team to be. I think I think Washington probably was supposed to compete in the uh, in the NFC East. Obviously, Dallas is playing out of their minds right now. But last year, this this Washington team kind of relied on that um on that defense and that defensive line. And this year they're giving up 30 points a game. It's just it's just tough. Obviously, Taylor Heineke's done a good job. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the starter coming into the year. But when your defense is giving up 30 points a game and your offense really is not that explosive, it, it's tough to um, it's tough to win games uh, consistently when when that's happening. And yeah, I mean, two and five. I still think they could they could possibly. Okay, now nah, they're done for the NFC East, but I think they could possibly like make some type of run to to get back to relevance. But yeah, I mean, it starts with the defense, and so far it's been um, their defense has been pretty bad this year. Yeah, hey, I, ho- I hope a two and five team in the NFC East can make a run or something like that. But I hope it's not the Washington Football Team. But uh, yeah, listen, Washington. Hopefully they can get something right. I know they have a game against the Denver Broncos this week. Well, honestly, those two teams, if you ask me, are built uh, pretty similarly. So there'll be a good matchup for them there. Core, another big disappointment this year. We've continued to mention the Dolphins. They fought a one and six on the season with a bad loss against the Atlanta Falcons this past weekend at home. A 30-28 on a young way coup. Last second field goal. Tua, again, if you ask me, played a pretty good game aside from one bad interception. In It was the fourth quarter. It was late in the game. But threw for almost 300 yards and four touchdowns. I did mention the bad interception he had. But Kyle Pitts today, it was kind of kind of his coming out party a little bit in London in week five. And then week seven off the bye, seven catches for 163 yards, really showing why he was the fourth overall pick of the draft and why people who are questioning, oh, you're taking a tight end in the top five. Yeah, he's that good for sure. I mean, that catch that he made up the sideline with one hand was remarkable. Um but more so on the Dolphins, there's just major questions there. I know rumors with Deshaun Watson continue to heat up and are getting relatively close, it seems like. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of panic if you ask me in Miami, especially because they don't have that first-round pick. And I don't know. I, again, Miami, if you ask me, they, were, they weren't as good as their record last year, but I, I didn't see this coming. Yeah, I don't think uh, anyone, anyone saw this coming, but I'll give you a stat, pal. Last year... This uh this Dolphins defense created 29 total t- takeaways and obviously that was just I don't know you take when you get 29 total takeaways in 16 games like your defense is gonna be good and you're able to rely on them but like this year they they've they're 20th in the league I know and they got a total of 
nine. They have nine so, through uh, through seven games. And, I mean, their offense last year really was not that good. So, Tua was able, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, like, they didn't have to do too much. Their defense was more to rely on, almost similar to the Washington football team. But, I mean, the Dolphins had a better record. But this year, the defense has just not created as many turnovers. I thought maybe it was kind of a fluke. But, I don't know, they're also losing a lot of, like, some close games. I know they beat um, New England first week, but to lose to Jacksonville and then uh, this past week to Atlanta, two two close games to two, I'd say, below average teams, like, you got to win those games. I know one of them even at home, like, they're just losing games that, like, easily can win in uh, that scenario. But, yeah, I think a big difference from last year, obviously, has to be uh, the defense creating turnovers, which is definitely not occurred as much this year and like you said they don't really have a first round pick so yeah I mean Miami one in six right now I think it's kind of I don't know what it is right now but I think it's kind of definitely tough in, in Miami right now yeah you mentioned those takeaways I know Xavier Howard had such a great year last year and even free agent Byron Jones both of those guys have been a little banged up this year more so Howard but yeah, some, something has to definitely change there. Uh, moving on to another team core that I've definitely been pretty high on really the past couple of years, ever since their Super Bowl run. The San Francisco 49ers lost again this past weekend off their bye. That is four straight now that they've lost to a record of two and four now to the Indianapolis Colts in an ugly game. Right? It was like a monsoon, a bunch of fumbles there. Carson Wentz, you know what I mean? I don't, he didn't play necessarily great if you ask me for the Colts, but ultimately he did the job uh, from the 49ers here. I'm definitely... I'm starting to hit the panic button because, I mean, coming off a bye, I felt like this was just such a great spot to get right, even though the Colts are a very good team. But, yeah, just you can blame some of it on the rain. They came out great in the first drive, giving the ball off to Elijah Mitchell and running the ball. And then after that, their offense was uh, pretty stagnant after that. So hopefully they can get something going. Kyle Shanahan definitely has to scheme something up because this is a team, like I said, that I thought could potentially make a run even in the playoffs this year that just it just doesn't look like it. Yeah, I mean – the first two games of the year, they um, the 49ers beat the Lions and then the Eagles. So, I mean, those are two games they should win. I mean, the Eagles are like an all right team. And then they take they take on the Packers, Seahawks, Cardinals, and Colts. I mean, the Seahawks had Russell Wilson. So, those are four solid teams. And they go 0-4 against, um, against those teams. So, I definitely say there's some sense of panic. Because, I mean, the 49ers have all three teams we mentioned. Like, it's not even a debate. They've, they definitely had... The highest expectations amongst uh, the football team, the Dolphins, and obviously like the 49ers. So, yeah, I'd say out of those three, this team is probably the most disappointing just because the expectations were there. And then the four, like the last four games have been pretty difficult, but they haven't even been able to squeeze out one win. Three of them, three of them being played in San Francisco. I think I just I don't know. I think Jimmy G, I think he's done all right. And Trey Lance obviously started against the. Uh, Cardinals, he he was running the ball well, but I don't know. I definitely say, especially in the NFC West and the NFC as a whole, like this is just a um, it's a tough situation they're in right now. I think they got to get a win this week against the Lonely Bears, but I don't know. Through through six games, I think it's been pretty disappointing for uh, the 49ers, especially that they haven't been able to beat like a good team. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a playoff run, you have to beat some of those top teams. You could say that the schedule is tough, but to not squeeze out one of them definitely uh, not a good look, if you ask me. 
you mentioned like Trey Lance a little bit too. I don't even necessarily know if the quarterback's completely the problem. I thought I think it's maybe their ceiling is capped a little bit with Garoppolo, but right now Jimmy Garoppolo can win football games for sure. Obviously, even they didn't win with Lance and I know they were against the undefeated Arizona Cardinals, but besides the point, both the guys have been under center. So I guess we'll see maybe who Shannon wants to go with for the rest of the season. I'm sure he's definitely thinking about potentially making another quarterback change. But yeah, you absolutely have to beat the Bears. There's absolutely no excuse to lose this game. They lose this game. I will come, I will write them off for the rest of the season for sure. Right now, I won't. I think the NFC playoff picture is um, not as deep as the AFC for sure. I think you have teams like the Saints who right now are in the playoff, are in the playoffs technically um, that I just don't see anything in, to be honest. Their defense is great. The Saints, don't get me wrong. But I think the 49ers are more than capable of, like, I think the 49ers are a better team than the Saints, for sure. So I'll go with that. But I agree with you from the sense of those three teams that we were just talking about, the Dolphins, the Washington football team, and the 49ers, for sure right now the 49ers are the biggest disappointment of the three. Core, I mentioned we we look for storylines each week so we can come talk about them. A tough week, Core, to be a quarterback auditioning for a future job. Some of these guys who are on one-year deals or really given one year, their first year in this new system, wherever they are, to ultimately – become a franchise quarterback. I guess I'll start first with Teddy Bridgewater of the Denver Broncos. I mean, everybody after the first three weeks that they were praising Teddy and I'm not going to completely say Teddy's played bad since then, but the Broncos have lost four straight games and to lose a primetime game against the Cleveland Browns who are all banged up. They don't have Nick Chubb and Curry Monet running back. They don't have Baker Mayfield at quarterback. Um, Kind of ugly, if you ask me. I mean, the Broncos offense, again, pretty stagnant. I think you can blame that on Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator, but uh, yeah, Again, Teddy, I, I don't know necessarily where he stands now on his future going into year two. I know he looked a little banged up in that game. I know Drew Locke coming out of halftime almost looked like he might enter the game. He ended up not. But, uh, yeah, definitely some questions arising in Denver around the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater, like, coming into this year, like, you acquire Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think necessarily the the Broncos are looking at Teddy Bridgewater to be there their future, like, quarterback, I think. Teddy Bridgewater, already uh, 28 years old. He, he's been in the league. He's been he's been around, obviously. He's been, like, a serviceable starter. And, like, he obviously stepped in in, in New Orleans when Drew Brees was hurt and uh, and did really well. But, I don't know, I, he really hasn't done, like, bad this year. Like, he's done all right. Obviously, he did not look great in this year. Obviously, he, in this game, he um might have been a little hobbled. But I don't know if you're saying Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I don't think he, yeah, he's not going to be the starting quarterback for this team for years to come. I still think Teddy Bridgewater with like the right pieces. I know this team is like a decent with like other pieces. Jerry Judy, I think, coming back this week. But I don't know. I still think Teddy Bridgewater, if given like solid pieces and a solid defense, he could um he could, he could lead you to the playoffs. But I'm not saying your team's going to like win the Super Bowl, but yeah, I don't know. Teddy Bridgewater, I'm still like, still kind of on his bandwagon. I don't think he, I think he definitely can uh, get a shot somewhere else in the future as a starting quarterback. Just not like, he's no one's going to be, he's not going to be anyone's like franchise quarterback. That's it. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think it's also reasonable to think that if the Broncos start maybe committing more to the wrong game and especially specifically Javante Williams, who is Ultra talented. I mean, Melvin Gordon, I'm not going to say he's not a bad back, but if you ask me, I think Williams is the better of the two at this point in their careers. Give him some more run and take some pressure off Teddy Bridgewater. Get your defense as well off the field because that defense you should really be leaning on. I mean, they have a great group of 
skills on offense. And then, like we mentioned all the time with the, this Denver Broncos roster, the way it's constructed, it, it's constructed with their defense. I know so Tan in their secondary as well, Justin Simmons and stuff like that, Von Miller, of course. So let that let those guys win the game for you and let your offense kind of play complementary football to that court. We'll go with Jameis Winston next of the New Orleans Saints in a game that they were playing the Seahawks, where they muster up one big play, the Seahawks that got them. 70% of their points in this game. It, was, it wasn't too pretty for Jameis Winston. He even missed that last second. That, not that last second, I should say, that last drive. He had, um, I think it was Jawan Johnson wide open for a touchdown, and he knew he messed up going to the sideline because he ends up taking a sack there where it ultimately could have iced the game. Yeah, I don't Jameis, yes, the Saints are 4-2, and two, but if you ask me, it's not too much to uh, Jameis being the reason why. I think Sean Payton maybe has to figure some more stuff out of how he can cater to Jameis's strengths. I'd liked how they went to Alvin Kamara a lot this past week and relied on him because he is so talented and stuff like that. He's their best playmaker by far. But um, yeah, Winston, after a real good week one performance, he only threw for about a buck fifty, but five touchdowns will give it to him there. But really hasn't found that same at the latter parts of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was a it was a rainy it was a rainy um, evening in Seattle on this one, and I don't know. He looked he did not look good at all. Let's just say that. I mean, any play that was not going to Alvin Kamara, I mean, like I had no confidence in the Saints just moving. Like if Alvin Kamara was not on the field, I had zero confidence in the Saints like moving the ball. And obviously, he had his stats aren't like terrible, but. A lot of it was just like give a dump off to Alvin Kamara, let him go yards after uh, yards after the catch. But I don't know. He missed some throws. I'm going to say I know it was raining. But I don't know. I just think Jameis Winston, he's just very – he's pretty inconsistent. Like one week you see him, you're like, this guy, why is why did this guy get cut from the, from, from the Buccaneers? And then you see him the next week and you're like, oh, that's why. He's just – he's just very inconsistent. I don't think Jameis Winston – I don't know, obviously former first round pick. He's only twenty seven, but I don't know. I don't think this guy I, I I don't like being like a downer, but I just don't see this guy ever being like a legit franchise quarterback. I don't know if like he's supposed to be at this stage, but I don't know. I just think he's pretty inconsistent. His stats on paper look pretty good this year, thirteen touchdowns, three picks, but if you like from a visual eye standpoint, I don't know. He just like you said, I don't think he's like that big of a reason why. This uh this, this New Orleans Saints team's four and two. Yeah, I think um the jury's still out on if Jameis Winston will be a franchise quarterback for the Saints or really in the National Football League. But you mentioned inconsistent quarterback plays. I think there's nothing that describes Sam Darnold more than being inconsistent at the quarterback position. Who's our next guy that we'll talk about? A guy had a real tough day against the Giants. The Carolina Panthers as well lose. I believe this was their fourth straight loss. If I want to say, yeah, it was their fourth straight loss to now go to three and four after they got off to that nice strong year. Like I said, he got benched in this game for PJ Walker. The Giants offense, uh, the Giants defensive front got to him all day. They had like six sacks on the day, really had him under pressure. But he threw an awful interception in the red zone. And maybe it was all those bad memories at MetLife because this game was in the former place they used to play in MetLife Stadium, although he was with the Jets. But yeah, again. For a guy who started to see a lot of promise in Joe Brady's system the first couple of weeks, it just doesn't seem like since Christian McCaffrey's got hurt, he's a completely different quarterback, and it's just so noticeable. Yeah, I mean Sam Darnold also started off the season really good through uh, first three games. Obviously, they were three and zero, and I don't know. It's kind of similar. Christian McCaffrey's a guy. I mean, him and Alvin Kamara probably 
two, definitely two of the best in the league. Like you just give them, like you just draw passes for them, and, and they're able to create after the catch. Obviously, without um him, it, it's been a struggle. And I would say, if, same thing in New Orleans. If if, if Alvin Kamara was hurt, I, I guarantee the the New Orleans Saints and Jameis Winston would be struggling mightily. And it's obviously been pretty difficult for for Sam Darnold since then. And I don't know he. But the thing about Sam Darnold, I think. This guy has better weapons on the outside currently than than Jameis Winston. I mean, DJ Moore. I mean, Robbie Anderson, this guy has just been dropping passes. I don't know what's good with him. Last year, he was really good. Maybe uh, he's been spending too much time with Sir Per. I don't know. He's just been dropping passes. But I don't know. Sam Darnold, she's just like what's been going on in his career. Obviously, with the Jets, he showed signs. And then he would just come out and not play well, and it's been the same thing. In Carolina, I'm starting to like – hop off the Sam Darnold bandwagon completely. I thought coming into this year, going to Carolina with uh, Matt Rule, I thought he'd be able to be successful. And through three weeks, it looked like that. But I don't know, since then, it's been um, it's been pretty ugly, I think. I don't know. I definitely think he's got he's to pick it up soon if he wants to be on uh, – he didn't sign a contract or anything. He's a free agent at the end of the year. He's got, he's got his option year, but they're not really tied any money to him. It's like a $19 million option. So if he's not starting, they're not keeping him because they don't really owe him anything if they cut him early enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's with uh, – I mean, he's still got 10 games left on the year, I think. I don't know. He's just got to pick it up. It's pretty simple to explain. Just he's got he's to pick it up, prove more consistency. I think he's obviously uh, praying for Chris McCaffrey to come back soon. But I don't know. At this stage – it's kind of looking like, you know, just the same old uh, Sam Darnold through, uh, through his NFL career. Yeah, Matt Rule, too, has shown, obviously, with him moving on from Teddy Bridgewater this past offseason, that he's not afraid to make a quick change at quarterback if he thinks that the Carolina Panthers can benefit for it as a team. I mean, he mentioned last year about how they couldn't, they couldn't win the close game and they want to do that this year. They want to be a playoff team. Maybe they go to P.J. Walker, former Temple quarterback. So they're going to have to wait and see if you ask me. I think what kind of you look at Darnold and Winston situations a lot, even Teddy Bridgewater's to an extent, is that when you have these guys who really aren't franchise guys, but there's like spot starters, you know what I mean? All these guys first year in their system and stuff like that, you really have to compliment those guys well. You can't really ask them to do something that they're not. None of these guys so far have shown really in their NFL careers, I should say, that they're this elite level talent that can really carry an offense around them. Yes, Jameis has led the league in passing yards, but he had great weapons on the outside and stuff like that. They're in shootout games all the time but like none of these guys have just will, will completely will your offense to victory so when you lose a piece like a Christian McCaffrey on the outside when you lose when you don't have a piece like Michael Thomas in New Orleans it could just really open up a quarterback to kind of get exposed so um, as much as we're kind of maybe throwing these guys like throwing a little shade their way yes they're not playing good but they also are without some of their weapons. So you definitely have to uh, kind of put a star next to that. I know obviously being a Giants fan every week, I'm watching Daniel Jones and it kind of like, it bothers me that some people can look at Daniel Jones sometimes and be like, yeah, like, especially this season be like, yeah, he's, he's awful. Like don't even, don't trust the guy. I mean, not what, what he's doing without some of his weapons, if you ask me, is remarkable, especially this past weekend uh, with no offensive linemen too, really all banked up and everything. So I think you have to be very, particular with evaluating the quarterback position i'm okay with you not saying that like yeah maybe this guy like can't necessarily win you a playoff game or win you that necessarily big game so you want to move on to him that's fine but to say that like you want to move on from a guy like like Jameis winston right now because 
he doesn't really have like any receiver. I mean, who's his number one receiver this past week? Callaway. I'm not gonna say Callaway's bad, but let him get let Traquan Smith get more involved. It was his first game back last week. Let Michael Thomas come back. Let Jameis Winston play some more games under the system, and then let's make a verdict on some of these guys. I do ultimately believe that, like, I don't think. Darnold, I, I don't know who's not going to be there in year two. I think it's way too early to decide. But, core, there are a couple of really enticing options, if you ask me, more from, like, the stopgap standpoint of you bringing a guy who's a backup right now and, like, kind of similar to how Winston, Bridgewater, and Darnold all got their spots. Like, uh, Mitch Trubisky, backup quarterback now in the Buffalo Bills, after seeing how bad the Chicago Bears have been this year, especially Justin Fields under center, I think for sure Mitch Trubisky should get a starting spot next year, or at least a chance to compete for one. And Marcus Mariota as well with the uh, Raiders. Uh, I don't know. That, that might be a little more biased to me, but I, it boggles my mind that Mariota came into that game last year against the Chargers, and then he's not—he wasn't—he didn't at least get a chance to start for a team this year. So I think those are two guys who necessarily maybe are on this quarterback bubble, quote unquote, that could potentially get a job next year and maybe take it from any of these three guys. Yeah, I mean those two guys, I think definitely are uh, are good. Like they're both—I mean Mariota's kind of been in the league a while, but obviously Mitch Trubisky's still pretty young. Yeah, like you said, I think seeing the the Bears, how bad they are. Without, I mean, I'm not saying it's all Mitch Trubisky, but I think definitely seeing that and how he did in that offense, I think definitely should get a chance next year. I think right now he gets to uh, gets to watch one of the best, Josh Allen. And then Mariota, obviously in that Chargers game last year, he came in and um, did terrific. I don't know, maybe it was just the uh, teams were kind of off him because, uh, I don't know, he came in, did really well, obviously. But I think outside of those two, I don't know who else. I mean, Case Keenum, he's he's pretty old. I mean, obviously he's been uh he's been good like in the past on the Vikings. I think maybe I don't know if Baker's probably gonna play this week, but I don't know. Case Keenum I think could possibly be another guy. He's just more of a journeyman type. I think the other two, like Trubisky and uh Mariota probably bring more to the table, but I don't know. I think maybe Case Keenum another guy who um who could come in and maybe get a starting a starting role on a, on a team. I don't know for how long, but I don't know. I think he could be a serviceable starter. Yeah, listen, Keenum just proved this past week against the Denver Broncos that he can win if he's playing a complimentary role. I mean, Dearness Johnson ran the ball so well for them. Um, so, yeah, I really think that Case Keenum could potentially be one of those options for a team to look for come uh, the offseason. But, core, we'll bring it to Stock Up, Stock Down, one of our newer segments that uh, I'm kind of starting to enjoy every week, kind of uh, – trying to find stuff to uh, mention. Core, I guess for my first thing on stock up this week will be Dan Campbell's aggressiveness. You're a coach of the Detroit Lions right now. You're 0-6, going to play the Los Angeles Rams at home. You definitely are in an uphill battle for sure. And what does Dan Campbell do? They score a quick touchdown early on a DeAndre Swift touchdown. He goes on side right away. They get it. They don't get the first down on this series. So what does he do? Ah, let me fake punt it and they get it. You know, like there's stuff like this. Like when you want to beat a team like the Rams, you're not going to you're not going to beat the Rams by playing the Rams way. If you're the Detroit Lions, you have to think outside the box. You have to take some chances and you have to inspire your players and stuff like that. Like I'm, the players clearly rally around his enthusiasm and his passion for the game of football. So Campbell being aggressive and stuff like that, it, it, it sparks your players. You know what I mean? They, they give a great fight in this game. Jared Goff throws an interception late that could have potentially set them up. I think it was to take the lead too. I think they were only down by five or six at that point, but all in all, it was a good effort from the Lions. I'm not going to give them a participation trophy, but I think Dan Campbell, like I said, his aggressiveness, something that was on full display this week. And I was very impressed by it. Yeah. I really liked Dan Campbell. Um, through seven games. I know they're on seven, but I don't know, just his like passion for the team. Obviously, this game, you could see he was trying to pull out 
all his bag of tricks to somehow come away with the win. Obviously didn't uh didn't successfully do that, but I mean an onside kick after scoring a touchdown, they recover. Then a fourth down and they and they go and they, and they do a fake and they get it. I mean, he was just doing everything. And this guy was almost out here playing like he was on uh he was on Madden and honestly I loved it for a team that's 0 and six. Basically nothing to lose. You're playing one of the best teams in the NFL. Why not try to uh, catch him off guard? And they did. So I definitely loved uh, Dan Campbell's aggressiveness in this one, despite coming up short. All right, Core. Moving on to our next stock up that I'm bringing to the table here. Core, there was a big trade kind of that went on yesterday. Maybe I shouldn't say big trade, but New Orleans Saints fans would say it was a big trade. Mark Ingram going back to New Orleans, the former 2011 first round pick by the Saints will be back there. So Saints fans who are big fans of Mark Ingram, maybe even had that Mark Ingram jersey. Hold off just a second because Mark Ingram did just change his number to number two this year. So maybe he won't be. I believe he was 28 in New Orleans. So hopefully um, maybe he gets it back. Maybe not. I might have been 20. Uh, now I can't. Either 22 or 28 in New Orleans. He was one of them at Bama, one of them at New Orleans. But uh, yeah, hope, hopefully at least at least Saints fans were also big fans of Mark Ingram. I'm sure they're happy this week. So I'll stack up to those guys. Yeah, I mean, Mark Ingram obviously um, was really good in New Orleans, uh, second all-time in uh, in rushing yards in New Orleans history. So despite probably not the same player he was when he was uh, when he was rushing for all those yards in New Orleans, I think definitely, you know, it's still it might warm up the hearts of uh, of true Saints fans getting back Mark Ingram, that Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara duo back. In like 2017, 2018, was um was pretty nice. Obviously, it's probably not gonna be the same, but just to get back Mark Ingram, a uh, a really good running back in Saints history, just uh definitely good for for the Saints and their fans. Yeah, they definitely definitely needed a second back because Kamara, not really your uh, bell cow back, and he was getting a lot of the work there, especially with Tony Jones who went out to injury. They moved on from Latavius Murray. In the beginning of the season, so definitely needed some help there. Core, we're going to go to stock down, and my first thing on stock down this week is going to be Jets quarterbacks, or I should say quarterbacks who have played for the New York Jets in this past year. Um, Sam Darnold, I guess first, we already talked about him getting benched. Uh, Joe Flacco is going back to the Jets, so a former Jets quarterback going back to the Jets. I don't necessarily, maybe it's good for him, maybe it's bad, but I guess I'll throw him into it because I don't know. At, at this point, I mean, do you really want to get traded to the Jets? Sorry, Cor- sorry, sorry to put you on blast there, Core, but uh, not, not a great situation after giving up seven touchdowns to the New England Patriots. But the biggest storyline from that game with the New England Patriots, from the Jets' standpoint, if you ask me, is that Zach Wilson leaves with an injury. He's going to be out a couple weeks, which is just a shame because you never want to see a young quarterback like that go down, especially on like kind of a low hit. And as well as just like, you don't want to lose out on those reps. You know what I mean? There's a valuable game reps that Wilson will be out there continuing to grow, get, gaining his confidence. So he'll be sidelined for a couple of weeks. Hopefully Mike White could uh, ride the ship for a couple of weeks. Maybe even Joe Flacco gets out there, but I'm definitely hoping for all the best for Zach Wilson and for him to get back on the right track. Yeah. I mean, ever since the Jets have, um, have made the AFC championship game and they lost to, to Rex Ryan in a potential game. To uh to make the playoffs and that was like 2016. That's been it's been pretty downhill. But yeah, I mean Zach Wilson, you never want to see him get hurt. And Pao, I mean, saying Mike White ride the ship, I feel like it's like a pretty big chance that Joe Flacco's out here getting uh getting starts. I don't know. I don't even know if they announced the starter for uh 
for the Bengals game. I don't know. They might have. They, but. They, they're, giving, they're giving White the start this week. But you're right. You're right. I think it's going to be – I think it will be flat on a couple – like maybe next week. Yeah, you give him a little bit of time to learn the system. But you are right. I'll, I'll give you that. Hey, Flacco did have that good game last last year on uh, a Monday night football when he almost beat the uh, beat the Patriots. So, I mean, at this stage, a one in five, probably going to be one in six after this game. I mean, to have Joe Flacco a journeyman, like – at this stage, like winning the game, like you don't even really care. You just want to see. Like, you'd rather, obviously, rather see Zach Wilson out there just ball out. But obviously, he's hurt. Hopefully, he's back soon. But I don't know right now. New York Jets fans kind of, kind of down bad, just like Jets quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, 54 points to the Patriots. I, I mean, that, it, it was tough, man. I, if you would have asked me, they told me that the Patriots scored 50, 50 plus points a year. I would have been like, wow. I'd honestly just been stunned. But um. Yeah, hopefully the Jets can figure it out. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's more of a rebuilding, retooling year than next year. If you ask me, the Jets can hopefully take the next step and stuff like that. But you'd love to see them competitive. You got a Bengals team coming off a big win. Maybe they can catch some fire. But um, who knows? I guess another quick stock down. I'll do a real quick course. Justin Fields. Please just start free Justin Fields. Uh, they played the Buccaneers this past week, and it was ugly. So um, hopefully Justin Fields can get like turn it around and get back on the right track and just really um kind of should be able to showcase his abilities because this year he just hasn't really been able to. I think he turned the ball over five times in this game. Definitely, I'm not going to put this game all on him. Obviously, the Buccaneers' defense is so good, and the Bears' offense just has really been um, next to nothing, especially because they've been running the ball really predominantly moving. That That's their way of moving the ball, and when you try to run the ball against the Buccaneers, it just doesn't work out too well. So uh, hopefully Justin Fields, the second half of the year, can find some more success. Yeah, for a guy who's been – who's been really high on Justin Fields since um since obviously his Ohio State days. I was hoping the Jets drafted him to see him do this. I'm in Chicago. Obviously it's not all him, but obviously some of it has to be like he has just not looked good. And I don't know, it's kinda it's kinda disappointing to see this, I think. Um I don't know what's happening. Obviously he's been turning the ball over a lot. Obviously he doesn't have he doesn't have much time to throw the ball either, but I don't know. Definitely Hoping Justin Fields could turn this around because I'm a big fan of the guy. But, yeah, right now, stock down definitely towards him in, uh, in that Bears offense. All right, Core, that's going to bring us to our game picks. We're going to do it to a similar format the way we did last week. We're going to mention some of the games. We'll give a little analysis about it, and then we'll give you the rest of our picks, so on and so forth. But, Core, we'll start with the Thursday night game and a real good game in the NFC, really a battle of two of the top teams there. The Green Bay Packers travel to Arizona to play the Cardinals. The Cardinals are six-and-a-half-point favorites here, looking to go 8-0 and for the first time in team history. A couple big stars that will be out in this game, Devontae Adams on the COVID list, Alan Lazard as well. I really should consider throwing Lazard in the big stars but i still will and jj watt looks like he's going to be out for the year with shoulder surgery which is just such a shame uh first year away from houston obviously was having a lot of success in arizona both as a player and team success so that's definitely a shame i would have loved to see watt potentially make another playoff run with them he should be back next year though he's on a two-year deal so i'm hoping for the best for jj watt one of my all-time favorite players on the defensive side of the football core I, yeah, it pains me that Devontae Adams is out this game because I think if Devontae Adams was playing, I think for sure the Packers win this game, honestly. But I'm still going to ride with the Packers. I just think they're riding a hot streak right now. I think Aaron Rodgers got finally got his swagger back a little bit after that week one, getting punched in the mouth a little bit. I think the Cardinals honestly dropped this one. I'm going to take the Packers plus six and a half and them to win the game on Thursday Night Football. I think they're ready for this stage. And I think the uh, Cardinals honestly just dropped to seven one. I don't think it's necessarily their fault. They're still one of the top teams in the NFC, but I just think they're running into a good Packers team right now. Yeah, I mean, 
Six and a half points, as long as uh, number 12 is playing, I think, is just a lot of points. So I'm definitely taking the Packers plus six and a half in this one. And, I mean, in Aaron Rodgers' last six games, you probably saw that without Devontae Adams, he is 6-0. and I, I don't know exactly how the opponents are in those games. But, I mean, the Arizona Cardinals currently 7-0. and uh, I think this will be a really good game. I'm going to take the Packers also in a close one, I think. If the game is close here, I expect Aaron Rodgers to uh, to get it done in crunch time. So I think this will be a really good game between two top teams in the AFC. Even with um, even with the Packers without Devonta Adams and Alan Zard, look for I look for Randall Cobb in this one to uh, step up big. I think he'll be uh, more the feature receiver instead of Marquez Valdez Scanling. But yeah, I think at the end the Packers come away with a close one in uh, in a win here. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there from the standpoint of Cobb. I know Valdez Scantling, uh, technically, like, they're not sure even if he's going to go because he gets on IR. Even if he does play, I think Cobb for sure is Rodgers' number one go-to guy today. But good to know that we're on the same page there. Core, I guess we're bringing into another game that I want to feature right here. <laughs> Some people kind of might scoff at this one. The Eagles, three-and-a-half-point favorites, traveling to Detroit to play the Lions. And I'm mentioning this game because I'm saying right now the Detroit Lions will win this football game. This is finally a spot where I think the Lions can compete with the team on a talent-wise. I, I think, the, I mean, the Eagles, yes, the, the Eagles give you a valiant effort in prime time. We saw that a couple weeks ago against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But th- this just seems too good of a spot for the Lions. I think the Lions can maybe run the ball on the Eagles. I know the Eagles do have a good front. But I think the Lions can be physical with them enough. And I think the Lions are ultimately going to win this game. So I'm going to take the Lions plus three and a half and them to win the game. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at um, I was looking at some games this week, and I was like, are the Eagles going to win this game? Is this a lock? And I'm like thinking, like, nah, this isn't a lock. I, I mean, I think the the Lions are due for a win sooner or later. I think this is um, it's definitely a prime opportunity to go get a win, um, to stop this this losing streak. But yeah, I also like the Lions plus three and a half, but I don't know. I think somehow. The Eagles squeak out another win. I don't know why. I just think the Lions find another way to lose this game. I think the Eagles win this game by about a field goal. So, I don't know. I think the Lions honestly suffer another tough tough heartbreaker, and the Eagles get the win here. Unfortunately, I'm going to sound like the bad guy, but yeah. And the Lions drop to 0-8, unfortunately, another close loss. Listen, you're not the bad guy for predicting the 0-7 team will find a way to lose and fall to 0-8. I mean, they're bad teams. They just find ways to lose, unfortunately. But come on, Dan Campbell. Rally those troops and get them ready to play this week. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm hoping the Lions pull this one out. Moving on to an AFC South battle. The Titans travel to Indianapolis to play the Colts. Colts one-point favorites here. And I love the Colts in this spot. The Colts coming off a nice win on Sunday Night Football. And the Titans coming off two really big wins against Buffalo and Kansas City. I think this is about potentially for a letdown spot. Colts, if you ask me, are maybe not that tier or haven't played to that tier, but they can. I think Jonathan Taylor goes for a big day this week. I think they're able to run the ball, move the ball all over this Titans defense that, yes, they played good last week, but really not not anything very special. So I love the Colts minus one here. And I think maybe this is my AFC South preseason prediction pushing me this way, but uh, I'm hoping the Colts can get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I picked uh, the Titans to, to win this division, but I don't know. Yeah, in this one, I just really like the Colts. I mean, the Titans coming off two home wins. I know the Bills are obviously a top team. The Chiefs, like, they got that that reputation. Obviously, they've proven over the last few years to be a top team. Also, in the AFC, they go in. I think the Colts are, are, are playing some good ball. Obviously, they, they just go and beat the 49ers. 
they beat up the Texans. Before that, they had the they had the Ravens beat. They lost that. So easily could have three straight wins right now. I think they're playing really high right now. Carson Wentz only has one interception this year. And, yeah, I mean, I, I can't pick against the Colts in this one. At home, I, I love Indianapolis in this situation. So I, I'll take them to uh, to win this game. All right, Corn. the last of these games that we're going to kind of preview a little bit, we'll go on the Sunday night football game, the Cowboys. One-and-a-half-point favorites travel to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Both of these teams actually coming off their bye weeks. Uh, I think this is going to be an absolute great game. I think if you look at, like, two like two of the most evenly matched teams, if you ask, like, I, I, you couldn't really build a better matchup if you ask me than these two teams. They're built so similarly, and I, re- I, I think it's going to be a real good game. I really hope it is. I'm kind of, like, now jacking it, so if it isn't, I guess blame me, right? I'm going to go with the Vikings here plus one and a half and money line. I think because it's so close, I will maybe side with the home team a little bit. I think Justin Jefferson maybe is able to get some, uh, get, get something working against Trayvon Diggs for sure. And, um, yeah, hopefully like Dalvin cook really hasn't been able to get fully going this season. I know he had a really good week, uh, the week before the bye week six against the Carolina Panthers He's been banged up, but with the bye week had a week to rest. I'm sure that he's going to be full going week eight and I'm ready for him to, uh, run on this Cowboys defense and maybe, uh, see if the Cowboys defense is legit or if they um were just uh get, got lucky in the beginning of the season and just were, were riding a hot hand. Yeah, this should be a really good game between um two two good, talented teams in the NFC. I expect a pretty high-scoring affair, even though both these defenses are capable. But, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna also take the Vikings in this one. I think the um, the Cowboys are obviously up to a 5-1 start. Like, I think they're, they've, they've had some, some quality wins, and I think eventually they're going to have – they're gonna lose the game, so I, I like the the Vikings here as a home underdogs to to win this game outright. So beautiful. So the four games that we picked to talk about in discussion, me and Corey have the four four the four same winners. So I, I, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to this one next week. But uh, Corey, I guess I'll, we'll give the rest of our picks. I'll start with the Sunday slate first. Uh, I'll go with the Fal- Falcons minus three. Over the Panthers, I'll go with the Bills minus 13 and a half over the Dolphins. 49ers minus three and a half over the Bears. Obviously, all those teams as well to win the games if I'm taking them to cover, minus three and a half. I'll take the Steelers to cover plus three and a half, but the Browns to win in the battle of the AFC North. I will take the Bengals minus 10 and a half against the Jets. I'll take the Rams minus 14 and a half against the Texans after taking the Texans last week and them not just graveyard um i'll take the chargers minus six against the patriots the patriots were awful last year when they went to los angeles they lost or excuse me i'll take the chargers minus six against the patriots i think the chargers avenge that brutal loss against the patriots last year in los angeles i'll take the seahawks minus three against the jaguars in a game that is just ugly i don't run on both sides i think the broncos minus three over Washington, Buccaneers minus five and a half over the Saints, and I'll take the Giants plus ten and money line against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night. What about you, Core? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna take the Falcons minus three in um in that game. I like the Bills minus thirteen and a half in uh, against the Dolphins. I also do like the 49ers minus three and a half against the Bears. You know what? Give me the Jets plus ten and a half versus the Bengals. You know. I'm kind of less. I always take the Jets with the points, but the money line, I just go the other team. So I take the Bengals with that steep money line. Rams, Texans. I mean, I think the Texans are just terrible. So I'll, I'll take the Rams minus 14 and a half. So looking like a lot of similar picks again, Pay. I mean, Chargers minus six. I'm fully on the bandwagon as well. Seahawks minus three. Like, I don't know if that's a trap. I Even with Geno Smith at home, 
I got to ride with the Seahawks minus three in that one. Washington Broncos, I think, should be an interesting matchup. But give me the football team to uh, to win this game. Obviously, cover plus three. I think they win the game outright. Buccaneers minus five and a half. I also love that one. I think the, the, the Buccaneers come in to New Orleans and just stifle the Saints team. And obviously, yeah, that's it. I think we are. Oh, Giants. Giants, Chiefs. I mean, I'll give the Giants plus 10, but I think the Chiefs got to get a win at home against the Giants. I know they're your team, but there's no way the Chiefs are losing this game at home to the Giants and fall to three and five if Patrick Mahomes is playing. So I think it'll be somewhat close, but I think the Chiefs win this game. Hey, listen, third time's the charm. Uh, this is the third time now that the Chiefs are playing an NFC East team after a loss. The first two times they beat them. I think this time, I, th- I think the Giants get a couple of their playmakers back. I think we're in for a real good one on Monday night, a lot better than people maybe expected preseason. But that's going to do it for our NFL recap and bring us into our NCAA recap. Um, the NCAA football, uh, and bring us into our college football recap. College football this past week, again, another great week filled with upsets and filled with one of the craziest college football games that I've watched in, the I'd say, the past two years. I'll give it maybe, maybe even more. I'll give it maybe the past five years that I've watched. But uh, we'll go Illinois beating Penn State this, this week, 20 to 18 in nine overtimes. Uh, just crazy. I remember that game a couple years ago. It was Texas A&M versus um, Texas A&M versus LSU when they went to like seven overtimes. It was like 74-72 and people were like, all right, this overtime rule has to change. So they were like, all right, after the second overtime, we'll just go for two from now on then, and it'll end early, right? Wrong. These teams, when they combined 0 for 10 in overtimes three through seven or three, yeah, three through seven on um, two-point conversions, it was it was brutal. Um, it was definitely not what people had in mind with this new overtime. But at the end of the day, Illinois was able to finally get on the board and uh, stop Penn State in the ninth overtime and win a – get a nice little upset win for them and kind of ruin Penn State season in a sense. Yeah, I mean, Penn State drops their uh, their second loss of the year. I, was, I wasn't able to watch this game, but um, it's crazy that this game goes to nine overtimes and these teams can't can't put the ball in from the two-yard line. I mean, I guess that, that says more about these teams' defenses. I'll give credit to them. But personally, Pale, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of this rule, of this, um, of this OT rule just because – I don't know. It's just this is a way. This is such a college thing. Like obviously, this thing's never happening in the NFL. But the fact that like you start the ball at the two yard line, I'm just not a fan of that because I feel like it's very easy for. It's just like either team could easily win it. I just think like it's not. I don't know how to describe it. Like a team, the weaker team could easily win in this sense. And I think in college, maybe that's something that's like cool. Like anyone could win. But I, I think. When you get, when you're able to start the ball at the two, like, and you get one chance in it, it personally, it's very entertaining to watch. But as a whole, I don't I don't really love it just because, like, either like it's the the weaker team could easily win in a sense, and it's kind of like it doesn't really say who the better team was to win on if that makes sense. Just because like you're starting the ball at the two yard line, like you could just get a run play up the middle and you score, and then they like it's one play, like it's fun to watch, but Overall, I don't really, I don't really love it. I know they want to, they maybe want to end it. This game went to nine overtimes, but overall, I'm just not a huge fan of it. Yeah, from, from an enter, from an entertainment standpoint, I kind of like the idea. I kind of like how like it's one, like really two plays in the whole overtime. So it's um, you know, what I mean, you're on your edge of your seat for your the edge of your seat for sure. I think it definitely is more of a college thing. You'll never see this if you ask me in the NFL, nor should you if you ask me. But 
I don't know. I kind of I kind of like it from the sense in college football from that. But I agree with you 100 percent on the fact that it's not really like fair to the better team in a sense. But in that same sense, it's like, well, if you're in overtime with the worst team, like just don't get into overtime and don't be in triple overtime. So I kind of do like the sense that it kind of rewards a team like, you know, rewards the work like the lesser of the two teams that, you know, you almost get like a true 50 50 shot right now because you got to go for it on two and then you got to stop them on two or something like that. So. I'm looking forward to maybe seeing how they modify this, maybe start it an overtime period later, maybe give them three overtimes and that, but definitely interesting. I know this is the first ever nine overtime game. I know there should be an asterisk next to that, like I said, because it's not, like to count one overtime as two plays, I think is pretty crazy, but uh, I guess we'll have to see what they do. But we mentioned Penn State too. I think their playoff chances are now completely out the window. They have a tough matchup with Ohio State this week that ultimately I think will um, – kind of really derailed their season in a sense. They were having a real nice run, and then Sean Clifford gets hurt against Iowa and kind of puts a damper on things. But, core moving on to the ACC. We were talking about it last week as well with Pitt and Clemson. That should be a real good game. And Pitt ends up being victorious over Clemson probably the first time in the last six years that they beat him or something like that. Not um, Kenny Pickett continues his Heisman campaign with 302 yards in the air and two touchdowns. I know he had a nice interview too as well after the game. And uh, they're just reminding people that it's – it's like not it's not the same Clemson and there might be a new uh, powerhouse in the ACC. I'm not necessarily saying that Pitt's going to be this dynasty now for the next 10 years. But I think for this year, I think you can confidently say that Pitt is a one of the top two teams, if you ask me, in the ACC. Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, when you see Clemson at uh, as an underdog, like there's a reason why. And I don't know, Clemson, yet again, they they've been squeezing by wins. Uh, I don't think they've covered the spread in a while, but I mean, I don't know what to go with DJ Ugalele. Throws two picks in this one. He's just, I don't know. He just has not played well at all. After last year, he um, when he stepped in for Trevor Lawrence, he looked he looked really good. That's why I was like kind of high on him and thought this Clemson team would be able to definitely run away with the ACC. But I mean, already four and three. I think it's kind of a lost season for them. But I mean, yeah, Kenny Pickett for Pittsburgh, twenty three touchdowns. Uh. Through the first seven games, he's just been absolutely uh, unreal. I think definitely getting into the Heisman conversation uh, for sure. In in a year where the ACC's kind of a it's kind of a lost cause, I think right now Pittsburgh, like you said, them probably Wake Forest. The, um, like if you were gonna say this was gonna be the ACC championship game, I'm not saying it's gonna be yet, but like if you were gonna say that's gonna be the ACC championship game before the year started, like no one's believing that and through um through this part of the year it's kind of looking like that that's what it might be which is honestly pretty crazy and uh teams like Clemson UNC Miami just have um have just been disappointments yeah you mean DJ two gets pulled in this game after he throws a pick six to Pitt so interesting to see what Clemson does at the quarterback position and if he ultimately does not start I mean now that's two of the preseason Heisman favorites who were benched this year in Rattler and DJ Uagilele, or however, I guess, however the name goes. But uh, moving on to Wake Forest, like you mentioned, Wake Forest moves to 7-0 and on the season. They beat Army. They dropped 70 points on Army. What's one of the craziest stats in this game is that what Wake Forest had the ball for all but 17 minutes. Like, they had the ball for 17 minutes in this game. That is absurd. I know they had a pick six in this game, but still – to drop 70 points with that low of time of possession just goes to show you really how exposed their offenses haven't really been too much like like taking too much stock in them because I, I figured oh it's way good you know what I mean they'll eventually fall off but their quarterback Sam Hartman actually used to be on that um 
that QB1 documentary I remember on Netflix a, a couple years back. So you know what I mean? I've watched him before. I, I knew of his name, of course. I knew of him when he was playing a little bit in Wake Forest uh, earlier in his career. And then uh, who was the quarterback who came in? Jamie uh, Jamie Newman, I think it was. It was the guy who went to Georgia then. It, it, yeah, Jamie Newman is that one. Then Jalen Daniels is the other. Jamie Newman comes into Wake Forest uh, and kind of overtakes him that one year. But yeah, Hartman's really got it going this year for Wake Forest. He's thrown for over 2,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, only three interceptions. They got a tough schedule coming up. I know they play stuff to play NC State. They play UNC and they play um, Clemson still on their schedule. So I'm curious to see how they beat those teams. Those are more of the upper end of the ACC. But yeah, it's 7-0 right now. Maybe they're sending themselves up for a real good ACC battle, like you said, with Pitt. Yeah, I mean, Wake Forest, obviously. Um the competition, like, so far, they haven't really, like, knocked off anyone. I mean, they've beaten – like, this team wasn't a top team coming in. They've, they've, they're 7-0. Obviously, they've been uh, they've been winning games. Obviously, squeaked by, like, Louisville, Syracuse in overtime. And like you said, they still have to play. I mean, UNC, obviously, a pretty dis- big disappointment. But still, like, they're coming into the year was, like – projected to be a top team in the ACC, NC State, Clemson. So even Boston College, I think those are games like you're looking at for for this Wake Forest team. And I mean, obviously, I'm not expecting them to, to win them all. If they do, I mean, 11-0, they got to be in like the top 10 for sure. But I think definitely see what um what they're really made of over those. Uh, obviously, they play Duke this Saturday. But over those final four games, you definitely see what this Wake Forest team is made of. And, yeah, I mean, the offense dropping 70 points in 17 minutes of possession, like, I have never heard of such a thing. And, I mean, I don't know, that's just – that's actually crazy. I mean, I I didn't watch the game either, but the fact 70 points, 17 minutes is something unheard of. Yeah, that's easy. That's moving the ball real easy in that sense. Moving on court to the Big 12, Iowa State avenges their loss to Oklahoma State last year, and they beat Oklahoma State this year. Uh, biggest storyline in this game, if you ask me, is Brock Purdy finally came to play, finally got a more consistent performance out of him. I know over the past, really, month, especially in the games that they lost, you could easily point to the quarterback position as being one of the focal reasons of why they lose. But Purdy, I think, threw for about 300 yards in this game, didn't turn the ball over as well. Two touchdowns. Bruce Hall scored a touchdown late in this game. Uh, Iowa State gets a stop late, maybe controversial. Uh, the spot, you could say Oklahoma State's guy got it. They rule it the other way. Iowa State's football, they need it out, and it's over. Good for Iowa State. Good for Iowa State. I kind of expected this outcome, but – for a team that, again, was a preseason top 10 team, I think maybe they had a, they had a rough stretch where they lost to Iowa and then they lost to Baylor as well. I think that they're a good football team for sure. And I think Oklahoma State was a little um, overrated. Obviously, it's 6-0, and though. Hats off to them. They're still 6-1. and They're still a good football team. But I definitely didn't think they were top 10 in the country material. So I think this evens itself out. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to see how the rest of the Big 12 plays out. This definitely leaves it more open to a team potentially playing Oklahoma come uh, the end of November or early December. Yeah, I mean, this was a this was a good game between um, two two solid teams in, in the Big Twelve, kind of back and forth. I mean, Oklahoma State did cover the spread. I'm not saying like that means anything, but like, I don't know. I think Oklahoma State proved in this game, like they're not like, I would say they're like total frauds. Obviously, just like they come in, play a close game in um in Iowa, and yeah, I mean Brock Purdy finally plays good, and Iowa State's been playing playing a little better ball. And I don't know. Hopefully, they could uh, could build on that. I know they got a um, they got some 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 matchups coming up. I know they play obviously West Virginia this week, 
in Oklahoma on November 20th. I'm waiting to see that one. Uh, but yeah, overall, uh, Iowa State getting a big win here in Oklahoma State's probably, I don't know what they dropped to in the rankings. Um, probably dropped a few. I think that, yeah, 15. But yeah, I mean, this is a good game uh, in the Big 12, both these teams. I think definitely competing maybe to get into the into the Big 12 championship game. I don't know how that's going to work, but I think both these teams are solid squads. And yeah, it definitely was a good game. Yeah, another, another thing about this game that I wanted to bring up, Xavier Hutchinson, receiver on Iowa State, goes 12 catches, 20, 125, and two touchdowns. Earlier in this game, in like the third quarter, it was uh, he catches a touchdown, or what should be a touchdown, I say, and kind of like starts high-stepping at the three-yard line. Ref throws a flag. The touchdown comes off the board, and it's a 15-yard penalty. And it wasn't even like, honestly, a completely like obvious high-step, if you ask me. It was one of the worst like penalties. It's honestly like kind of messed up that he gets called for that. Iowa State does score on that drive, but uh, I don't know if like – like, I don't know. That's just like, like such a whimper penalty. First of all, it should never take the touchdown off the board. You want to put 15 yards, I'll put 15 yards onto the kickoff or something like that, put 15 yards onto the extra point, but don't take the touchdown off the board. And second of all, he didn't really even do anything, man. If he like turned around and like shushed everybody or started doing something blatant, like, yeah, come on. What high stepping? Like, are you serious? Like, look, call, that, that ridiculous call, if you ask me. Matt Campbell was heated, Iowa State's head coach, and he should have been because I thought that was awful. Oh, no, for sure. I think that was the worst the worst call I've ever seen. I think that ref should be fired. I don't think, like, the fact that that touchdown is taking off, like you said, like, I think everyone's thinking the same thing. He barely did anything to start. But even if he did, that that's not like a penalty that's, like, a reason why the touchdown was successful. It's not, a, it's not an offensive pass interference call. It's not a holding call. I mean, it's a, it's a unsportsmanlike conduct call that usually is enforced on the kickoff i've never seen a touchdown taken away because of an unsportsmanlike conduct and like he barely high stepped like barely even did anything i don't know i think that ref i don't even know like the fact i know they scored anyway i think xavier hutchinson did score the touchdown but i don't know the fact that the ref called that i think definitely there's got to be some consequence for this guy like you can't you cannot take away a touchdown for that i think that touchdown honestly got me pretty mad, and I don't hope anyone loses their job, but I definitely hope that that ref, like, someone says something, that guy, like, yo, do not call, do not take away the the, the touchdown for that and don't even, like, call that a penalty because at the end of the day, football is a game, like, you got to have some fun. He barely even taunted at all, so I think as a whole, it probably shouldn't have even been an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. In fact, touchdown was taken away was even worse, so. Yeah, no, nah, this call really did get me uh did get me a little mad. Justifiably so, Core, that call wasn't wasn't that ref's best. But um another thing I just want to bring up real quick about this game after Iowa State wins, of course, all the fans stormed the field. And yes, I get it. You know what I mean? They were honoring technically Iowa and Oklahoma State was ranked eighth in the country. But if you think about it, Iowa State's seven point favorites in the game. You win the game by three points. Um, yes, you win the game, obviously, but like, should you even really be storming the field? You were technically, a lot of people would say you were expected to win the game. You were a preseason top 10 team who then is not really meeting expectations to this point. Of course, I know for your fan base and for the atmosphere, um, for them, yes, they should have stormed the field. But I'm asking, for, in the college football spectrum, should that be like, should that be the procedure? Should we really storm the field if we're favorites in the game, if you ask me? No. You know what I mean? Storming the field should be reserved to an upset win. Yes, in the sense that was an upset, but like, 
it really like I don't, I don't know. It just like if you ask me, yes, Iowa State won this week, but it wasn't an upset. If you ask me, in the rank, according to the rankings, it was an upset. But the rankings are just like they're built a little differently than like who's the best teams. The rankings aren't the twenty five best teams in college football, one through twenty five. So that's where I stand on it. But uh, at least good for the Iowa State fans that they got to storm the field, I guess, right? Because that's probably a great experience. Yeah, I mean those fans probably at the game having a really good time. So yeah, I mean I can't like. They did beat the number eight team in the country. I can't really, like, blame them for storming the field. But, I don't know. Even though they were seven-point favorites knocking off the number eight team, like, I think it's a it's um, it's a solid reason to storm the field. But, yeah, I mean, you said, like, Iowa State came this year with, like, a lot of expectations. Seven-point favorites is meaning, like, they were supposed to win the game technically. So, overall, not great. But, like, as a fan at the game, Knocking off a number eight team, like I don't really, I don't really mind it. I know it's not like it's Oklahoma. If it was like Oklahoma, like actual Oklahoma Sooners, like definitely would storm the field no matter what. But I don't really mind it as a whole, despite them, uh, them being uh, seven point favorites. I think uh, fans just want to have fun. I think knocking off the number eight team in the country, despite being seven point favorites, I think is definitely still a uh, an accomplishment and should be somewhat celebrated. Hey, fair point, fair point. I can live I can live with that. And like I said, at least good for those fans. I'm not completely upset with those fans, you know what I mean? It's just that I don't like what the, the that the college football culture has accepted rushing the field as a favor, but that's for we'll we'll live to see another day on that. Uh, a couple other notes from Saturday I just wanted to bring up. Caleb Williams scored that fourth down play against Kansas. They were down really a majority of the game. They finally take the lead. 28-23 was a score at this time, a fourth and two. They go for it at about midfield. Kennedy Brooks stuffed. Caleb Williams, I mean, the guy's a true freshman, but this was the most veteran move I've ever seen. Takes the ball, rips it out of Kennedy Brooks's hands, and dodges the first down. Really, like one of the best plays that I think I've ever seen, one of the most high IQ plays that I've seen. So I, that was remarkable. I mean, after you make a play like that, your team's just not losing the game. Good for Caleb Williams. They, Oklahoma ends up winning this game against Kansas. Avoids a one of the biggest upsets in recent memory for sure that would have been but um yeah it goes to show you that maybe Lincoln Riley did make the right decision this Cade Williams kid isn't just like your typical freshman because like I said that man was years wiser than he appears with that play yeah for sure I mean that I uh I had a game during this time but I remember one of my it was like I'm chilling on the sideline one of my coaches like Oklahoma is losing to Kansas I'm like no I'm like this is just not happening like 38 and a half point favorites and yeah, it comes down to this fourth down play. And Caleb Williams, watching that play, like you said, that is just a brilliant heads up, high football IQ play. Because this guy is clearly going to get stopped. And before, like, the refs could, could like, blow the whistle for, um, like, blow the whistle just, like, to end the play, Caleb Williams rips the ball out of his hands and he gets the first down to seal the game. I just think, yeah, Caleb Williams with the high, high IQ play is just... I don't know. That was just absolutely outstanding, especially for a freshman to uh, to have the to have the heads up awareness in that in that type of in that game in the fourth quarter on fourth down. I just thought with like that was absolutely phenomenal out of uh, out of Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. I mean, his days as an Oklahoma Sooner continue to um, I don't know. They might be might be limited after this season, to be honest. Yeah, they for sure are. Core, another thing I want to mention, Drake London, wide receiver of 
Uh, USC, if you ask me, is the best player that probably a lot of people have really never heard of. Fifth straight game, over 100-plus yards receiving. On the year, he's over 1,000 yards, has 79 catches or five touchdowns. Kidder's recruited to USC as both a basketball player and a football player. Football is definitely his calling card, if you ask me. He's going to be one of the top receivers off the board come 2022 in the NFL draft. Uh, for a team that has had a real tough year, USC, if you ask me, um, that, was, that was my pick even to win the Pac-12 conference. Keaton Slovis, I was very high on going into the year. Uh, Drake London definitely has not disappointed as well. Drake London definitely making a statement to the college football world this year. So good for him, and I wish he was getting a little bit more recognition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, this guy, uh, Drake London, recruited as a basketball player. Also, obviously, he's a uh, six, five, six foot five. Obviously, he's a top athlete. Uh, so obviously comes in as a wide receiver. I'm sure like a lot of basketball players who are like that could come in and make a difference like that athletically. And yeah, 1,000, already got over a thousand yards through seven games. He's absolutely, he's just been, I don't know. He's been a, he's been a playmaker for Keem Slovis in, uh, in USC. Unfortunately, the team's three and four, but that doesn't stop the fact from, uh, Slovis to, to London has been a dynamic, uh, connection. Yeah, it definitely has. I don't know. One last thing I want to touch on. UTSA, sneakiest 8-0 team in college football. They're ranked 23rd in the college football rankings. A team, again, like you said, more of a mid-major team. But uh, good for UTSA. You know what I mean? Get that program going down there. I don't think necessarily that they're going to finish the season undefeated, but hopefully they continue their dominance in uh, Conference USA. But moving on to our game pick score, we got a great slate of football coming this Saturday, particularly in the Big Ten. And we're going to start with probably the biggest matchup that a lot of the college football eyes will be on this Saturday. Number six, Michigan travels to Michigan State, uh, who's ranked eighth in the country. Michigan are four-point favorites here. Core, this is definitely a game as a Michigan fan that scares me. I think it's going to be back and forth. I mean, Mel Tucker, really, the head coach of Michigan State, has completely turned their program around this year. Kenneth Walker's running the ball real well. And Michigan as well. Michigan runs the ball real good this year with uh, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. I think it's going to be a close game. I think you could point to Michigan right here as them finally letting you down. I'm going to take Michigan State to cover, but I'm going to take Michigan State to win this game. I think it's just going to be so back and forth. I think it's decided by a field goal, and hopefully it's in Michigan's way. I think it will be in Michigan's way. I think the biggest X factor of this game will be Cade McNamara. Can he make the big throws that ultimately put them over the top? And if not, does Jim Harbaugh potentially go to J.J. McCarthy to get them over the hump? Uh, they got a tough schedule coming up this this coming November, but if they're able to – have some success. Potentially, we could see Michigan playing in a Big Ten championship and potentially even play themselves into the college football playoffs. They control their own destiny in a sense. They got to go, I'd say, three and one in the last four and then win the Big Ten championship. So I'm definitely pumped. Uh, this is one of, like you said, there's a big rivalry game too in Michigan State, not as big as Ohio State, but still uh, huge, huge playoff implications here, huge bowl game implications here. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go Michigan State to cover, but Michigan to win. I mean, yeah, this should be um, definitely a really good game. I know in it's usually more of a college basketball rivalry. Uh, Michigan State usually not as good in, in college football as Michigan is. But I don't know. In this one, two interstate rivals, I'm going to go with the home team in this one. I like Michigan State plus four, and I'm going to take them to, to win the game outright, in a, which should be a pretty gritty uh, Big Ten type of game. And I'll, I'll, take the, uh, I'll take the Spartans in this one. Yeah, it definitely will be a Big Ten game. I mean, you're going to see a lot of rushing yards in this game from both sides. Uh, moving on to another Big Ten game this week. We got number 20, Penn State, travels to Ohio State. Ohio State's now fifth in the country, and they're 18.5-point favorites here. We mentioned the first Big Ten game, if you ask me. going to be a lot closer. going to be running the ball. I think this game will be uh, a lot more one-sided. I think Ohio State is really um, 
uh, hit their stride and they've taken off running really since they lost that game to Oregon. Um, CJ Stroud at quarterback is finally coming into his own. He's getting a lot more confidence there. Obviously the receivers are unbelievable. Garrett, Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave and Smith and the Jigba, as well as uh, Travion Henderson too. Their running back is unbelievable. And they still master Teague as well. I think Ohio state wins big here. I like Ohio state minus 18 and a half. I think Penn state coming off that bad loss to Illinois. Yeah. They might want to come out and maybe, um, maybe kind of, you know what I mean? Save their season in a sense, but I think it's maybe just too little too late. So I'll take Ohio state, the Buckeyes winning big here. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Ohio State has most definitely hit their stride. They've they're, they've been putting up insane amount of points over the uh, over the last four weeks. I think over fifty in all of them. And obviously, Penn State probably going to be the best team they've played. But I don't know. At home, I I think the momentum continues. I think eighteen and a half is a lot of points. But I think the Buckeyes win this game by at least three touchdowns. I think they, I think they've really hit their sides stride. CJ Strode. He's um, let's just say he's really grown throughout this season so far. So, yeah, five and two to, to for Penn State. I think that loss to Illinois kind of a dagger to them. So now going into Columbus, I definitely like Ohio State in this one, and I think they cover uh, minus eighteen and a half. All right, Corn. Moving on to. Uh, another huge rivalry game, this one in the SEC. Number one, Georgia, 14-point favorites travel play at Florida at the neutral site. They play in um, Jacksonville every year. 14-point um, favorites here, Georgia. Not surprised. I think this is actually a really fair line, if you ask me. Florida, I'm curious to see what they're going to do at quarterback, if it's going to be Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson. I 100% think it should be uh, Anthony Richardson at this position. I'm anticipating that. I'm going to go with Florida here to cover 14 points. I know Georgia's played really well against top-tier competition, such as Auburn and Kentucky, but I don't know. I think Florida gave Alabama a real good fight. I'm not saying Alabama and Georgia are equivalents this, at this point in the year. They're not, but yeah, I think Florida's offense can finally do something against Georgia, especially a lot more than any other team has. I think maybe they just give get, make their defense work for it a little bit more. I'll ultimately take Georgia uh, to win the game, but I'll take Florida plus 14 here. I mean, I think this should be a, uh, a pretty good matchup, uh, Georgia-Florida, but I don't know. I think th- this Georgia team, obviously, their def- it's their defense that is so good. I mean, Stetson Bennett has come in, and this Georgia team really has not lost the beat. So I think I'll take I'll take Georgia minus fourteen so far. <clears throat> I know they didn't cover the spread against Kentucky on a uh, on a last second bad beat for uh, for Bulldog betters, but I think in this one I'm going to take Georgia minus fourteen. I think that I think Florida offense obviously. It, they got some life to them, but I don't know. I think Georgia in this one is able to to cover the spread and uh, obviously win the game. All right, Corey. Last game that we're going to pick, another SEC rival and another SEC game. Number 10, Old Miss travels to Auburn. Auburn's 18th in the country, and Auburn's also three-point favorites in this game. Uh, I don't think it's really – people have been listening to this for a while. I don't really think it's – um. It, it's uh, too much of a surprise who I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with Ole Miss plus three and to win the game. Matt Corral, I think, continues his Heisman campaign. They just beat LSU last week at home, and I think they just continue to keep the ball rolling, keep the momentum. And Bo Nix, again, you just never know which Bo Nix you're going to get. So with that, I'm going to go with Corral, a guy who has been doing it with his legs, he's been doing it with his arm, and I think he's going to continue that and potentially move Ole Miss now into the top 10. I know number 10 now, but I think they move up maybe even a couple spots this week after a nice win at Auburn. It's definitely a big game for them, could potentially set them up for a real good bowl game, uh, specifically a New Year's 6 one. So hopefully Ole Miss can win this game. So I'll take Ole Miss plus three and them to win the game outright. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Ole Miss. 
and Matt Corral's obviously been like nothing short of uh, spectacular so far in this season. I don't know. You obviously don't know what Bo Nix you're gonna get, but I'm not. I'm feeling Bo Nix is gonna he's gonna ball out in this one. I think. At, I think being at home also helps, and I don't know. I think Ole Miss definitely. I think Ole Miss obviously a better team, but for some reason I don't know what the sense is. I just think Auburn comes away with a win here, and I'll take Auburn uh, minus two and a half in this one. Hey, sometimes sometimes you got that feeling, Corey. So I'll respect that. But uh, that's gonna do it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the Depot underscore. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.